The Old Testament reading for today is Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 32. The New Testament reading is Luke 8, 4 through 15. That will be the sermon text for today. Ezekiel 36 and verse 22. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves for your iniquity and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. The New Testament reading is Luke 8, 4 through 15, our sermon text for today. And when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to Jesus, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, 
and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. This is now the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of the word of God this morning. A parable is a simple story that has spiritual meaning. And as you probably know, Jesus often spoke in parables. Here in Luke 8, we find one of the more famous and beloved parables of Jesus. What should we call this parable? Should we call it the parable of the sower? Or should we call it the parable of the soils? Those are really two fine options, for in this parable we do find a sower, that is, a farmer who is casting seed in his field, and we find a description of four different kinds of soils upon which the seed fell. There is the hard-packed soil of the wayside, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and good soil. The parable itself is found in Luke 8, 4-8, and in verses 11-15, through 15, Jesus explains which each component, what each component of the story represents. The seed that is thrown represents the Word of God, we are told. The sower is therefore the one who preaches the Word of God. And the soils represent all who hear the Word preached. The different soils representing different ways that people hear or receive the Word of God. So what should we call this parable? And I'll admit in a way it doesn't matter what we call it. Jesus did not give this parable a title. If the translation of the Bible you are reading from has a section heading above this passage, you should know that it is not original to the text, but was added by the publisher. But in another way, it does matter, for what we call this parable will likely have some impact upon how we interpret it. And here is the interpretive question we must answer. Is this parable about the sower, that is to say, the one who preaches the Word of God, or is this parable about the soils, that is to say, those who hear the Word of God preached? Stated differently, when Jesus spoke this parable, was His intention to teach us about how the Word of God is to be preached, or was His intention to teach us about how the Word of God is to be heard and received? Stated in one more way, is this parable intended for the preachers or the hearers of God's Word? And may I suggest to you that the answer is both. It seems to me that this one parable contains valuable insights both for preachers and the hearers of the Word of God. And I think the text itself pushes us, pushes us in this interpretive direction when Luke informs us that this teaching was delivered in two places before two different audiences. Firstly, we are told that Jesus spoke this parable to the great crowds that came to Him from the towns. Clearly, Jesus aimed to exhort these people who came to Him to receive the Word of God well. By telling this parable to the multitudes, He was warning them to be good hearers of God's Word. Secondly, Luke informs us that Jesus explained this parable to His disciples in private. Yes, they too needed to be warned to receive the Word of God well, but they would also be sent out to preach, that is to say, to sow the seed of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said some things to His disciples in private that would help them to be good and faithful preachers of God's Word. So if you ask me, a wonderful title for this parable would be 
the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soils. For in this one parable we learn a great deal about preaching and receiving the seed of God's holy word. Before I go on, you should probably know that I will be devoting two sermons to this text. The title of today's sermon is The Parable of the Sower, the Seed, and the Soils, with special attention given to the soils. And the title of next Sunday's sermon, you could probably anticipate it, it will be The Parable of the Sower, the Seed, and the Soils, with special attention given to the sower and the seed. I tell you this in part so that you're not frustrated when I don't deal with every aspect of this text today. Some will be left off for the sermon next Sunday. So let us now consider the soils. What does the soil represent in this parable? Well, it represents all people who come into contact with God's Word. The sower is a preacher. The seed that he sows is the Word of God. And the soil represents all who hear the preaching of God's Word. Notice that I did not say that the soil represents all people in the world without exception. No, these soils represent those who hear God's Word in the world. And it must be remembered, friends, that there are people who live in this world who have never heard the Word of God. Yes, they have heard the voice of God through what we call natural revelation. Uh, The creation does speak to us. It is a form of revelation, but clearly we are considering here God's special revelation. His Word, which leads to salvation, We are here considering the Word of God as it is contained in the Scriptures and as it is to be preached by God's heralds. And I mention this for two reasons. One is a reminder that we must be committed to taking the gospel to these unreached people. And two, and this is more to the point of the sermon today, to remind you that you are in a privileged place to have heard the good news of Jesus Christ and to sit regularly under the ministry of the Word of God. The seed of the Word of God has been cast upon you. It has come into your ears. And you must not forget that it has not been cast upon all. You are in a privileged place, therefore, and you should know it. And so I might ask you, friends, by way of application, do you consider it a privilege to hear the Word of God read and preached? Do you cherish God's Word? Do you you prepare your minds and hearts to receive it? Do you listen to God's Word carefully? Do you receive it humbly? Do you meditate upon it so that it changes your mind and heart? And do you receive the Word with the intent to obey it? That is really what this parable of the soils is all about. It is in part an exhortation to receive the Word of God in the right way and with a good heart so that it will be fruitful in you. Four types of soils are mentioned in this parable. And each one represents a different kind of hearer. As we consider this parable, the question you and I must ask ourselves is, which soil represents me? What kind of hearer am I? What kind of heart do I have? The first type of soil is the wayside. It is the hard, compacted soil of a well-traveled path. Now, we do not live in an agrarian society, but I'm sure you can picture this. I want you to picture a field that is tilled and ready to be planted. Now, picture the perimeter of that field and the path on which the farmer and his family walk every day. That ground is very hard, and it is very compacted. Actually, do you want to know the image that comes to my mind? You know, when I was a kid... Children could be allowed to ride their bicycles around this 
a valley with no worry at all. Um, believe it or not, that's how things were here when I was a child. But I remember that from time to time the fields would be tilled up. But over time, uh, the kids uh, would make trails for themselves going through the fields diagonally so as to cut the corners of the blocks. You know, over time, there would be a path that would go right through the field that was once tilled, and it would be very hard, compacted soil, especially after the heat of summer baked it. Uh, that is what I picture. And that is the kind of soil that is described here in Luke 8.5. There we read, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. In Luke 8.11, Jesus explains the meaning of this parable. Now, the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. So here we have a picture of a person who hears the word of God proclaimed. Perhaps it is preached to them, perhaps they read it. But this person does not really hear. They pay no attention to the word. When they hear the word preached, they are distracted. They are disengaged. They are disinterested. They are dismissive. The word of God falls on their ears, but in no way does it fall upon the ears of their mind and heart. The seed of the word of God does fall upon them, but it has no impact. It makes no impression. Why? It is because their heart is hard to God and to the things of God. Because the seed of the word falls on them and lays only on the surface of the hard-packed soil of their heart, there is no opportunity for the seed to germinate, much less to set down healthy roots, sprout, grow, and bear fruit. The seed of the gospel is soon trampled upon, crushed, and carried away by the birds. And the birds, Jesus says, represent the devil himself. The devil and his minions have many ways and tactics of snatching the gospel of the kingdom away from the minds and hearts of men and women hardened by sin. And this we will consider in more detail in the following sermon. The hard, compacted soil of the wayside is a very good description of those outside of the church, outside of the Christian congregation rather, who have heard the word of God proclaimed and yet never have they received it. The gospel is preached to them, and what do they do? They scoff. The gospel is preached to them, and it seems like foolishness to them. The gospel is preached to them, and they are unmoved. They are indifferent. They reject Christ as He is offered to them in the gospel, and therefore they remain in their sins and are not saved. Now, though it is true that those with hearts like this will rarely ever assemble with a Christian congregation, it is not impossible to imagine a situation where they might. As you probably know, people assemble with the church for all kinds of reasons. Many do so from the heart because they have sincere faith. But others might assemble to please family, because their parents make them, to appear religious in the eyes of others in society, or because they think that attending church will better their life in some way. I think you could understand the point that I'm making here. While most who hear the Word of God with a hard, compacted heart will never darken the door of the church, some will enter. Some may even sit under the ministry of the Word of God with a heart like this for a very long time. They hear with their physical or natural ears, but they do not hear. And so I must ask the question, yes, even in a setting like this, does this describe you? 
Does the Word of God bounce off you like seeds thrown upon the concrete? And if so, I plead with you to call out to God for mercy, to turn from your sins and to believe upon Christ for salvation. I, I urge you to stop mocking God and stop presuming upon His kindness. Paul the Apostle says, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard, impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. That is Romans 2, 4-8. If your heart is hard to God and to the things of God, humble yourself, turn from your sins and trust in Christ today, lest you die in your sins and go to judgment and condemnation. While it might be difficult to imagine someone with a hard, compacted heart regularly assembling with a Christian congregation, it is not at all difficult to see that those with hearts represented by the next three soil types will always be present within the church. The church will always have those with rocky, thorny, and good hearts in their midst. And so consider now the rocky soil and be warned. In verse 6 we read, And some seed fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Now consider the explanation of Jesus in verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who... When they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. Brothers and sisters, are you able to imagine what rocky soil is like? It is different from the hard, compacted soil of the path described above. That soil is hard, and it is flat. When the seed is cast upon it, it has no place to go. It cannot penetrate the soil in any way, but rests exposed on the surface of the ground. It is soon trampled and carried away. But the rocky soil is different. We are to think here of good soil with many small stones in it. The surface of this soil type is rough and it is jagged. It has cracks and crevices. And in those cracks and crevices there is sprinkled some good soil. So there is a place for the seed to go. In a sense, the seed is received by this soil very easily. It falls into the cracks and crevices between the stones and into the dusting of good soil that is present there. It quickly germinates and it begins to grow in that protected place. In fact, it grows up very quickly. And why does the seed that falls on rocky soil sprout up so quickly? It is because all of the energy is directed not downward into the soil, for there is little soil, but upwards so there is at first the appearance of life and the hope of fruitfulness, but this hope is in vain. These plants will thrive in the early springtime, but they will not last long, as the coolness and dampness of springtime give away to the heat and drought of summer. These plants that have sprouted in the rocky soil will quickly wither away, for they have no root. And here we have a picture of those who... Believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. They fall away in the heat of temptation and trial because they have no root. 
It is because they have no root that they are not able to survive the heat of the testings, trials, and tribulations of life. I think you would agree with me that there are some, maybe even many, who assemble with the church and claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, who have received the word not in a true way to the salvation of their souls, but only in a false, external, and superficial way. They appear to us to have faith. They may for a time appear to be very zealous, very full of life. But when times of testing come, they wither away, revealing that their faith was not true. For these received the Word of God not deeply and authentically, but only superficially and externally. The Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, never took root in them. Yes, we do confess that salvation is by the grace of God alone, received through faith in Christ alone. And yes, we confess that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. John 3.16 is true. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10.13 is true. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But these passages refer to a belief in Christ that is true. There is such thing as false belief, brothers and sisters. There is such thing as a false profession of faith. And that is what is pictured here by the rocky soil. For a time there appears to be a reception of God's word. There is a profession of faith that is made and a gathering together with the people of God. But over time, the one who receives the word in this shallow, heartless, rootless, and insincere way will certainly fall. The trials of life will overwhelm them just as the heat of summer overwhelms a plant that has sprouted in shallow soil. To paraphrase the Apostle John, these false professors go out from us, but this shows that they were not truly of us. And now I quote him directly, For had they been of us, they would have continued with us, but they go out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. These our confession refers to as temporary believers in 2 LCF 14.3. So, there is such thing as false belief. There is such thing as a false profession of faith. And that is exactly what is described here by the rocky soil. And again, the question I must ask, yes, even of this audience, is, does this describe you? Have you received the Word of God, but only in a superficial way? It can be difficult to judge our own hearts, can't it? Have you ever noticed that? It can be difficult to even judge our own hearts. I suppose we could all look inward and say, Lord, I have not loved you and your word as deeply as I should. I have not stored up your word in my mind or cherished it in my heart as I ought. My faith is weak. I too am easily shaken by the trials and tribulations of life. Every one of us could probably say that. If we were honest, we would. So I suppose the purpose of this question that I'm pressing you with, does this describe you, is not so much to have you answer yes or no definitively, but so that you can by God's grace be moved to tremble at the thought of it being you. Stated differently, as I ask the question, does the rocky soil represent you, I hope and pray 
that the Spirit of God would awaken you to the danger of receiving the Word of God superficially and produce within you a deeper and more sincere faith. If you fear that the rocky soil describes your heart, what should you do? Well, you should cry out to God for mercy. You should turn from your sins and look to Christ more sincerely. And you should resolve by the grace of God and in the strength that He provides to receive the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, more deeply into the mind and heart. Yes, it is true this is a work that God, by His grace, must do in you. But it is also a work that God calls you to do. We are to be careful hearers of the Word of God. We are to receive the Word of God in a good and right way. We are to obey, for example, James 1.21, which says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. That is a command. That is a command that God delivers to us. We are to receive with meekness the implanted Word that is able to save our souls. We are, to, we are to do this, brothers and sisters. We are to receive with meekness the implanted word. Lord, have mercy upon us and grant us this gift. Enable us to be good hearers of your word. May we receive your word sincerely and deeply in the mind and heart and not shallowly. This should be our prayer. And after praying a prayer like this, we ought to rise up with the intent to obey. We are to be eager hearers of God's word. We are to be well-prepared and attentive listeners, and we are to be doers of God's Word. As James says in the very next verse, James 1.22, But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we must be careful to receive God's Word in a good and authentic way, and we must also be doers of the Word of God. The third type of soil mentioned is the thorny soil. In Luke 8.7, Christ says, and some fell upon among rather, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. In verse 14, Christ explains the meaning. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Some of you may be wondering, does this soil type, the thorny soil, represent true believers or false believers? And it is not so clear, is it? Clearly, those represented by the wayside are not believers. In no way do they receive the word. And those represented by the rocky soil are not true believers either. They appear to believe, but over time their profession of faith has proven to be false as they fall away. But the matter is not so clear with the thorny soil and perhaps the reason is that both true believers and false professors are threatened by the thorns of life. The one who makes a false profession of faith will be choked by the thorns of life unto spiritual ruin and death. But it is also possible for a true believer to be choked by the thorns of life to the detriment of their spiritual vitality and fruitfulness. The warning delivered by Jesus is very clear and it is for all who profess faith in Christ. Beware of the thorns of life, friends. You must cut them back. You must uproot them, lest they steal your spiritual vitality and diminish your fruitfulness. 
Indeed, some have been so overrun by the thorns of this life that they have denied the faith. Judas was one of these. Mind you, he heard this teaching from our Lord, but he did not heed the warning. He was choked out by the thorns of this life as he chose riches over devotion to Christ. He denied the Lord. The cares of this life... Excuse me, let me back up here. So what are the thorns of life that choke our vitality and fruitfulness and threaten to keep us from reaching maturity? What are they? Jesus gives us three categories. They are the cares and riches and pleasures of life. The cares of life may also be called the worries or the anxieties of life. These cares, these worries, these anxieties are like thorns that threaten to choke our spiritual vitality. To keep us from being fruitful, they can even lead to ruin. The cares of life may be called worries or anxieties. In the Greek, it is the same root word that is used in Matthew 6.25 where Christ says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, etc. Here in our text, Christ warns about the cares or anxieties of life and He compares them to thorny weeds. Everyone has cares. Everyone has worries. Everyone feels anxious from time to time. But these cares must be kept in check. By faith we must cut them back. By faith we must uproot them. If we allow the cares of this world to grow unabated in the garden of our souls, they will choke out our vitality. These thorny weeds will diminish our fruitfulness. They might even lead to our destruction. Christ also warns of the danger of riches or possessions. To be rich is not sinful. But the desire and pursuit of wealth is a very dangerous thing. It can choke the soul. Think of how all-consuming the pursuit and maintenance of wealth and possessions can be. Has the Lord blessed you with wealth? Do you have nice possessions? Christ does not condemn this. But He does warn of the danger of riches and possessions. Riches and the pursuit of riches must be kept in check, lest they overrun the soul, therefore. It's in 1 Timothy 6.6 that Paul speaks to the importance of keeping the heart pure in this regard. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with with these we will be content. But those who desire, that is to say, those who have it as their aim or goal to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, that is to say, through this aspiration or longing, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Here Paul is warning of the same thing that Christ warns us of in this parable of the the soils. He warns us, of the danger of the weeds, the thorny weeds of the desire for riches or possessions. Beware, brothers and sisters, of making the attainment of wealth and prosperity your aim. Beware of the love of money. 
The love and pursuit of wealth and possessions are like thorny weeds that threaten to overrun the soul. The pursuit of riches can rob your vitality. It can diminish your fruitfulness in Christ's kingdom as you are driven to live for the wrong thing. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, Christ says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Don't we all need to hear this and to be reminded of this? Don't we all need to be warned of this danger to live for the things of this world and to make it our aim to grow wealthy and prosperous? We all need to be warned of it. I think our young people especially need to be warned of this as they emerge into adulthood and prepare to start their careers. Don't they need to be warned to not make this the aim or objective of their life? Is it good to work hard? Is it good to have possessions? Is it good to save some money? Does God bless some of His people with great wealth? Yes, that is all well. That is all fine. But do not make it the aim or the objective of your life. For these thorns will grow up and they will begin to choke you out, to steal away your vitality and to render you unfruitful in the kingdom of God. We are to live for God's glory. We are to live for the advancement of His kingdom here on earth. We are to store up treasures, not here, but in heaven, in the new heavens and new earth which Christ has obtained. So then Christians who are rich in this world and Christians who are poor in this world must keep their hearts pure as it pertains to the love of money. Thirdly, Christ warns us of the pleasures of this life. Isn't it marvelous to think that God created us in such a way that we are able to enjoy pleasures. Am I the only one that thinks about things like this? I don't think that I am. But sometimes I will just sit there. Yesterday was a beautiful day, wasn't it? I was working outside in the afternoon and I kept talking about it. You could ask Kalia. I think I mentioned it ten times. What a beautiful day. The, the temperature was just right. I love it when the sun is lower in the horizon. It doesn't beat down upon you so intensely. It was just pleasant. It was a pleasant day. I sat there for a moment in the warmth of the sun and I thought about this very fact. I have been created by God. You have been created by God with this capacity to actually feel pleasure. And God has made the world in such a way that it is filled with pleasant things. It's incredible to think about. We have this capacity to experience pleasure both in body and in soul. We can be pleased inwardly in our souls. We can experience happiness and joy. And think of all of the pleasures that we do enjoy in this life. The pleasures of life and the ability to enjoy them is a gift from God. And we ought to give Him thanks for this gift every time we enjoy the good things of this life. But here, Christ warns us about the desire, the desire to enjoy the pleasures of this life. He describes the pleasures of this life as thorny weeds that may choke the fruit of the seed of the gospel if allowed to grow unrestrained. Are you living for the pleasures of this life? You see, that is the question. Is that your aim? Is that your object objective? To experience the pleasures of this life externally and inwardly? Is that what you live for? So when does the enjoyment of the pleasures of this life become a thorny weed of the soul, a curse rather than a blessing? One, when the earthly pleasures we enjoy are enjoyed as an end in themselves instead of as a gift from God to the glory of His name. 
too, when the pursuit of the enjoyment of earthly pleasures becomes the aim of our life. Three, when the earthly pleasures we enjoy are sinful in and of themselves. And four, when we choose the pleasures of this life over devotion to the God of heaven and to the Christ He has sent. You see, sometimes following Christ means suffering the loss of earthly pleasure. So then you can see that there is a sense in which the cares, riches, and pleasures of life are all common things and even good things in their proper place and within proportion. But if these things are allowed to grow out of control, they will consume our souls. They will choke out the Word of God and hinder us from producing mature fruit. Truly, the thorny weed is an apt metaphor for how the riches, cares, and pleasures of this life threaten to overrun the soul. For these things threaten the soul in a very subtle way. Like weeds in the garden, the cares, riches, and pleasures of life are ever-present realities in the life of every man. And like weeds in the garden... These cares and desires must be contained and controlled. Like weeds in the garden, they must be cut back and uprooted in mind and heart. The thorny weeds in the garden grow rather slowly, don't they? Especially when they are small. But if allowed to grow, their growth accelerates as the plant matures. And if they are allowed to grow to full maturity, those thorny weeds will drop seeds of their own and they will multiply. And this is how a garden is overrun with noxious weeds. In this way, the weeds are up, not uprooted when they are small, but they are allowed to grow a little. And then the growth is accelerated, and then the plant comes to maturity, and seeds are dropped, and before you know it, there are more weeds. And pretty soon, the garden, which was once beautiful and fruitful, is choked out by these invasive weeds. If you want to see an illustration of that, you may come to my house later and look at my garden. It was beautiful just a couple of months ago in the summertime. I have neglected it for probably a month and a half or two. Haven't been out there at all. It's incredible what is there now. (laughs) Not in a good way. I went out there yesterday because I was working on finishing this sermon. And it came to my mind. I went out there yesterday. There were these thorny trees growing in the middle of the garden about this tall. They weren't there a month or two ago. I went out there. There were palm trees growing. You know how those palms drop those seeds and they begin to sprout up? It was overrun by this. It's no big deal. I'll clear it out and get it ready for next spring. Probably won't have a winter garden. But it was, it was a good picture of how quickly, how quickly our souls can be overrun by the thorny weeds of this life. The desire for riches and pleasures, along with the cares and anxieties that are common to us in this world. These things must be cut back and uprooted, lest they overrun us. This is how it is with the mind and heart of man. We must keep our hearts and our minds, brothers and sisters. We must tend to the garden of our souls, lest the cares of this world and the desires for riches and pleasures of this life overrun us and render us I quote now 2 Peter 1.8, ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I must ask, does the thorny soil describe you? Are there weeds in the garden of your mind and heart? In fact, I know that there are. As I have said, no one is without anxieties. Everyone desires prosperity and pleasure to some degree. 
But are you tending to these cares and desires in the mind and heart to control them according to the truth of God's Word and by His Spirit? Are you meditating on the truth of God's Word and asking yourself the question, are these thoughts that I am thinking, are these cares that I'm dwelling upon, are these emotions that I'm feeling, these desires that I have, are they good, are they right, are they true and pleasing to my God in whom I trust? Or have these anxieties and desires for earthly possessions and pleasures begun to choke my spiritual life to make me unfruitful in Christ's kingdom? I am exhorting you to meditate on God's Word, brothers and sisters, to apply the truth of God's Word to your heart deeply. Pull the weeds, brothers and sisters. Tend to the garden of your soul. Tend to it daily by meditating on God's Word. Tend to it in prayer Tend to it through repentance. Yes, we must repent even of sinful thoughts, desires, and attitudes. Tend to the garden of your soul by faith, trusting always in God and in the Messiah He has sent. Tend to the garden of your soul daily, but do it especially on the Lord's Day. Did you know that the Lord's Day is a wonderful day for gardening? It is. Not in your earthly garden, of course, but in the garden of your mind and heart. The fourth and final soil mentioned by our Lord is the good soil. Luke 8, 8. And some seed fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. In Luke eight fifteen, Christ explains the meaning. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This entire parable is, in part, an exhortation from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to hear and receive the Word of God in a good way. We are to hear and receive God's Word just as good soil receives good seed. So how are we to receive God's Word in a good way? Firstly, we must hear the Word. Christ says, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the Word. Here I am simply asking you, do you hear the Word when it is read and preached? Are you present with the congregation to listen to the reading and preaching of God's Word? Do you listen attentively or is your mind running this way and that? Do you fight to focus or are you easily distracted? Do you fix your minds on what is being said or are you given to mental laziness? If we are to be good hearers of God's Word, then we must not only listen with our physical ears, we must also listen with the ears of our minds, that is to say, with our intellect. And this does take practice brothers and sisters. To, go, to be a good hearer of the Word of God, we must listen well. Secondly, to be a good hearer of the Word of God, we must hold it fast. As for that in the good soil, Jesus says, they are those who, hearing the Word, hold it fast. <laughs> to hold the Word fast is to keep it. It is to receive the Word into our minds and hearts and to hold on to it. This, I think, is to be contrasted with the soil of the wayside. That soil is represented by those who hear the word with their natural ears. Perhaps they even contemplate the word somewhat with their intellect, but never did they take it in and keep it. The soil, this soil receives a seed that is cast upon it only in a superficial way, but the good soil receives the seed that is cast upon it, and the seed is retained within To hold the word fast is to cling to it. That is how the NET renders this word. It is to keep it. It is to retain it. The seed of the word of God is powerful. It is potent. It has life in it. But it must be received deeply and kept in the soil of the mind and heart if it is to germinate. 
sprout, grow, and bear fruit. The word is to be cherished. It is to be meditated upon, you see. Thirdly, to be a good hearer of the word of God, we must hold it fast in an honest and good heart. Of course, when we speak of the heart of man in this way, we are not talking about his physical heart, but his inner self, his soul, his mind, his will, and affections therein. To be a good hearer of the Word, one must receive the seed of the Word of God down into an honest, that is to say a noble or upright, and good, that is to say a healthy, clear and fertile heart. So what does it mean for the heart to be good and honest? Well, the context makes this very clear. For the good soil is clearly to be contrasted with the bad soils mentioned above. A good and honest heart will be humble. A good and honest heart will be soft and receptive to God's Word, as opposed to the hard, compacted soil of the wayside. A good and honest heart will be well prepared to receive the Word of God deeply, as opposed to the rocky soil mentioned above. And a good and honest heart will be cleared of the thorny weeds mentioned above too, the cares of this life and the love of the riches and pleasures of this world. In brief, a good and honest heart loves God supremely, submits to His Holy Word, receives it with meekness, hates what is evil, clings to what is good, and intends to obey what God has said. Fifthly and lastly, a good and honest heart will bear fruit with patience, we are told. What is the fruit that the seed of the Word of God produces? It is the fruit of faith and obedience leading to eternal life. When the seed of God's Word falls upon a good and honest heart, made good and honest by the the grace of God alone, it germinates, it sprouts, it grows to maturity, and it yields much fruit, even a hundredfold. The fruit of God's Word is faith in Christ, obedience to God's commandments, and a multiplicity of good works, stemming from a heart filled with love for God and our neighbor. When God's Word is received into a, a good heart, it will grow to maturity, and produce good fruit with patience. That is to say, consistently and, and persistently, even through the various seasons of life. You see, the seed that grows up in good soil, that plant will last even through summer, even through the trials and tribulations of this life. The question that we must ask by way of conclusion is this, How then can we come to have a heart that is good and honest, well-tilled and receptive to God's most holy word? There are two answers. The first is most important, and it is this, by the grace of God alone. God alone can take a heart hardened by sin and make it soft and receptive to His Word. God alone can clear our hearts of the stones of sin and rebellion. God alone can eradicate the thorns that threaten to choke the Word and steal away our vitality and fruitfulness. God alone can till the soil of our hearts to make it soft, receptive, and fertile. This He does for all of His elect by His Word and Spirit. It is God who saves us and sanctifies us by His grace through His Word as the Spirit works. And so I say to you, do you wish to have a heart that is good and receptive to His Word? Then cry out to God for mercy and grace. Ask Him to change you inwardly. Depend upon Him. Trust in the Christ He has sent and walk by the Spirit that He has provided. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. 
The second answer is that we, by God's grace, must also tend to the soil of our hearts. And no, brothers and sisters, these two points are not contradictory. God is the one who must do this work in us, but God works through means. He works externally through the preaching of the Word of God. He works through passages such as the one we have considered today that warn of the dangers and call us to action. God is calling you to action, friends. He is calling you to tend to the garden of your heart. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. 1 Peter 5.6 Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James 1.21 Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 2 Timothy 2.22 Let us lay aside every weight and sin which, sing, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12.1-2 Keep your heart with all vigilance, brothers and sisters, for from it flow the springs of life, Proverbs 4, 23. These are commands, brothers and sisters, and they are commands that we must be careful to obey, but we must not attempt to obey them in our own strength. We must obey with the strength that God supplies. We must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. May the Lord have mercy on us. May He strengthen us by His grace through His Word and by the Spirit to keep our hearts with all vigilance so that we would be brought to maturity in Christ Jesus and made fruitful to His glory, honor, and praise. Amen? Amen. Let's bow for prayer. Father in Heaven, do help us. We thank You, O Lord, that You have called us to faith in Christ, that the word of the gospel has been cast upon our ears, and that for most in this room it has been received in the mind and in the heart. I thank you, O God, for this great gift. Would you call those who have not yet been called? Have mercy, O God. May those who do not yet have faith in Christ receive this word of the gospel, that though we are dead in our sins, you, O God, have reconciled us to yourself through Christ the Lord. You have provided this way. I pray, O Lord, that those who do not yet believe would would soon believe in Jesus the Messiah, that they would turn from their sins and trust in Him. And for those who have professed faith in Christ, O Lord, help us to keep our hearts before You. Lord, You have called us to Yourself. You have washed away our sins. All of our hope is in You, and yet You have called us to walk worthily. You have called us so that we might bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Lord, make us fruitful and bring us safely into our eternal inheritance. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.